As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Some material may be disturbing and we use adult language. Listener discretion is advised. If you love the show, be sure to hit subscribe so that you never miss new episodes. And if you want to support the show, please visit www.patreon.com slash killerqueenspod, where as little as $3 a month gets you early access to shows and amazing additional content. Now on to today's case. Hey y'all, what's up? Part two. <clears throat> you ready? Totally ready. <laughs> Are you ready? ready? Oh no, I'm ready. Okay, good. All right. In the last episode, we talked about the disappearance of Brittany Drexel, a 17-year-old high school student who vanished on the last night of her spring break vacation in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Oh, somebody messaged me on Instagram, and she said that she's from Rochester, and it is Chai Lai. It is. Yeah. I was like, damn, so close yet. So far. No. Is what we were. What were we saying? Chai Lei. Chai Lei. Which Chai Lai, I think, makes more sense because it's C-H-I-L-I. Yeah. But why did you say Chai Lei then? Because I can't understand <clears throat> how to read the pronunciation thing. It looked like Lei because they spelled the first part C-H-A-I, like Chai Tea Latte. Sure, 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 sure. I'm very familiar with Chai. And then L E. Y, E. I mean, I feel like if you were gonna show it as lie, it would just be L I E. Yeah, me too. Okay. So that's why I was like, well, I must be thinking of it wrong. I've um actually lost interest in this, so let's just move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so it's shy lie. Um, <laughs> today we're gonna focus on the investigation and where things stand today which I don't think anybody's gonna like that mm -mm, mm -mm. so we know that Brittany traveled with a group of acquaintances at best all of whom are assholes yeah at this point exhibiting some pretty strange and suspicious behavior uh, reports state that a couple of her friends stayed behind to help search for Brittany one extra day but it's unclear who stayed now in their defense these are younger people. They're not going to have the expense to be able to stay, mm -hmm. you know, probably. And I'm sure they have to get back. They have school or like whatever the fuck it is they have. But um, I don't believe that any of the people that stayed were any of the people that she stayed with. Because those people have never still to this day have never responded to Don or Chad at all. Like at the very least, you <clears throat> could just give somebody some answers. You know what I mean? Like 
Yeah, especially if you had that. nothing to do with it and just talking to her parents like, hey, you know, what or, questions do you have? How or can I'm we so help? sorry that she's missing. Yeah, exactly. We were friends with her too. Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of bitches. We know that Peter left in the middle of the night that night with his crew and um, the night that Brittany disappeared and her roommates changed hotels that night as well unexpectedly. But what does that mean? Peter said he left to get back home and that a parent of one of the kids in his room was upset that they were in Myrtle Beach. I wrote, reports I've read, rabies, the question. (laughs) I did not know about the rabies part of this story. Yeah, apparently they all had rabies and that's why they had to come back. Okay, spell check. Uh, Reports I've read raise the question that if you're a parent and you find out your kid who is over 18 is in South Carolina and you want them to come back home, wouldn't you want them to sleep it off before driving like 14 hours? So that seemed a little suspicious um, to a lot of people, including Dawn and Chad Drexel. Um, They were just like, that doesn't make any sense. You left some of your belongings there. You guys forfeited a deposit. You were aware that she was missing because it happened, you know, within hours of you guys checking out. And Dawn had contacted Peter and also the police had contacted them. So it's just really strange. I would venture to say that, you know, Alana and Jennifer, who shared a room with her, I feel like their attitude is probably the same as Peter's in the Dr. Phil show where he just keeps saying, I'm not a babysitter. Like he, he, I think he went on Dr. Phil to try and clear his name a little bit. I don't know if that was accomplished. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think he's never been connected in any way. He's been cleared by police, but well, his shitty attitude is not really going to get just Yeah. It wasn't a good attitude and he just didn't come across as sympathetic at all. When talking to the parents of people whose child has gone missing, and I understand that from his perspective, he's like, you know, you're throwing me under the bus, and like, I don't appreciate that, and all this stuff, and at one point, Chad says, Peter, how old were you at the time? And he says, 20. He's like, how old is my daughter? And he said, 17. And he's like, well, you know, how old were the other people? And he's like, oh, you know, the, some of the people in his room, like one of them was 25, one Ooh, of them whoa. was. So they're they're a little bit older. And, and kind of inappropriate hanging out with a 17-year-old. Yeah, and that a little, yeah, it's weird. So he's like, you know, you let her walk a mile and a half by herself or whatever and, you know, all these things. And then he's like, and then when we ask for information about like what she was doing that night and just trying to get more information so that we can try to locate her. All you're telling us is you're not a babysitter. And he's like, you threw yourself under the bus. Nobody else did that but you. And of course, all the people in Dr. Phil like, woo, and like clapping and all that kind of (laughs) stuff. So, and his attorney kept talking, you know, for him a lot too, as well. And people thought it was really weird that he lawyered up when he got back home. But I think he's a kid that comes from some money. Um, they probably have a lawyer on retainer or something, maybe, you know? Yeah, I don't know. It, I mean, it's obviously the smart thing to do. It doesn't, I've, and we've discussed this so many times, but it's like, yeah, it doesn't really make you look incredibly innocent, but it's what I would do, you know, like innocent yeah. or not. I think it's smart. Yeah, exactly. It's just, 
I think that the general public still views that as a sign of guilt. Right. And before we really started doing this, I did too. Mm-hmm. If I saw somebody, I'm like, well, why do you need a lawyer if you're not guilty? Obviously, you're guilty. Right. And now I'm like, I need a lawyer every day. Yeah, like, exactly. Just to be sure. I mean, there's just things that you can slip up and whatever. But but I just, I think that Jennifer and Alana kind of probably held that same attitude. And it didn't seem like they really were big fans of Britney anyway. And for whatever reason, they invited her on this trip. But um, it kind of seemed like they were just like, hate it for you, but not my problem. Like, I didn't do it, so I'm not going to, I have no reason to talk to you which is a real asshole thing to do. That's just kids only caring about themselves, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a very selfish attitude, but that's just how they are. And they've since changed their names on social media to make it like really difficult to find them and stuff. So, I mean, they're just not talking to anybody. Still won't. They've never once been like, hey, we're really sorry about Brittany. Ever. I think that's the least you can do. Yeah. Many searches took place in 2009, and at one point, a pair of sunglasses were found, but they didn't have any DNA on them that they could pull off, so it was like a pair of knockoff Prada sunglasses, and nobody knows if they were Britney's or not, and they were found not in the exact same area that they had been searching and like where they thought Britney had been last seen, or not even seen, but her you know, cell phone ping and all that. Um, but when they asked like Dawn about it and they asked her boyfriend, John, he said, I don't recognize them. They don't look like any that I remembered seeing. That doesn't mean she didn't buy some while she was there. So he was like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a no point for me. Like not a point for maybe she was there and it's not a point for she wasn't there Mm because they just don't know. And they really couldn't pull any, anything off. And the sunglasses looked like at that point they should have been in the water for like eight months and they look like they'd just gotten dropped there. So it didn't seem like that went anywhere. In 2010 detectives identified three persons of interest and detective Vincent Dorio said, The people we're looking at, I feel really good about because all of our little pieces of evidence, they're all pointing in the same direction towards the same people. And they're describing the area as the location of interest. And they say it's where the persons of interest live. But at this time, they wouldn't provide any specific details for fear of jeopardizing the investigation. And during this time, you know, now they know that Brittany's phone is pinged way far away from where she was supposed to have been on this trip at Myrtle Beach. And that area is McClellanville, which is a teeny, teeny, tiny town. There's like 500 people that live there or something crazy. Is it like no bigger than your mother's Jack Russell? Exactly. (laughs) And they were questioning everybody there because they could, like literally just knocking on doors and being like, how's your mom and them? (laughs) I got some questions for you. (laughs) So they're like literally talking to everybody and if it's somebody who lives in that area, which it seems like it would have to be because the area was not an area that you'd just happen upon if you're traveling through. You'd have to be needing to go there, like make it a point to go there. Yeah. To be there. Have right. business there or live there or something. So I think they pretty much thought right away that they were going to 
in that area because of the way that it is that they were going to find somebody who knew something. But they didn't want to give a lot away at the same time because it is such a tight-knit community. So the information that they had been provided gave them enough probable cause for search warrants and even lie detector tests that they said they had given to the persons of interest. There have been some polygraphs, but again, we can't discuss that, the detective said. But we're real comfortable with our persons of interest. And they said that the persons of interest knew what happened to Brittany. They're suspected of being present with Brittany, knowing her whereabouts or possible whereabouts. They did say, though, at that time that they still need the final clue to establish that a crime occurred. We could use that one person or one piece of evidence that comes forward and ties everything together to make a solid arrest, which leads to a solid conviction, the detective said. Hmm. And at this time, so this is 2010, they're still not saying if they think, they're still treating it as a missing persons report. They're still looking for her. They had had cadaver dogs out there, too. Um, but at this time they're still calling it a missing person's yeah. case and they're, they're still trying to keep it out there. But as they got more of this evidence, now they're saying that they said things we're hearing and the detective says, I'm speaking for myself, leads to believe that she is not alive. In the beginning, it was a missing person's case, but everything we've looked at as, I'm confident foul play was involved, and this is probably going to be a homicide investigation. So later in 2010, uh, in June, Brittany received an honorary diploma, Mm -hmm. and her parents did attend the high school graduation. And also in 2010, we start to see some of these persons of interest emerge as suspects in the case. This is not due to developments in her case specifically, but a failed abduction in front of the same hotel she was last seen leaving in 2009. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. According to an article posted to ABC 15 News, Myrtle Beach Police Detective... Just kidding. Myrtle Beach Police... I'm sure detective was involved, but that word wasn't in the sentence. Arrested a McClellanville man wanted in connection to a kidnapping attempt a week ago in Myrtle Beach. So this was in 2010. A case that was that has eerie similarities to that of missing spring breaker Brittany Drexel. Sean Taylor, 37, I'm reading an article, by the way, turned himself in Wednesday morning to face charges of attempted kidnapping and first-degree assault. An arrest warrant was obtained Monday, and despite two days of searching, detectives were unable to locate Taylor. On July 21st, a Tennessee woman reported to police that three men in a van approached her on Ocean Boulevard and tried to kidnap her. According to the police report, Randa Massey, 20, was walking on Ocean Boulevard near Blue Water Resort around 4.30 p.m. when she heard what sounded like a van creep up behind her. She told police two men jumped from the van and tried to pull her into the van, but when she elbowed one of them in the face, she broke free. She told police a third man waited in the van as a getaway driver. On Monday, detectives from Myrtle Beach and other assisting law enforcement agencies executed a search warrant at Taylor's home on Old Collins Creek Road near the Georgetown County line. Remember that. Old Collins Creek Road. Okay. Police seized several items, including what was presumed to be a stolen truck, which has been linked to a homicide in Charleston County. Mm. Yeah. So what the fuck is that about, Taylor? Yeah. 
The suspect van, described as pale blue, was that was used in the botched kidnapping was not recovered. They've never found that van. What? How? I don't know. Police say Massey picked Sean Taylor out of a lineup, and police continue to seek information about the two additional men. And then uh, Sean Taylor turned himself in on July the 28th of 2010. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because... She picks them out of a lineup. And in another article that I read, this is also important. Remember it. She says that the person driving the van was missing an arm. It looked like he only had one arm. So she picks them out of a lineup, which we do know can be sometimes, especially when it's like really fast. And I don't know, that can be a little bit unreliable. But when they go to their house, they don't find the van, but they do find a truck that is linked to another homicide that was stolen from somebody who's who's been killed. So that's strange. And it was directly in front of the Blue Water Resort. And that's the last place Brittany was. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely very... Does Sean Taylor have two arms? Sean Taylor does. Oh... But okay. his son, Deshaun Taylor, does not. Oh. We're going to get into him in, in a okay. few minutes here. So. That almost sounded exactly because I said, does Sean Taylor? <laughs> but that's like almost exactly Deshaun. Yeah, exactly. I was like, uh, no. I know the answer. Uh, so when asked about, I think this was maybe when he was like going to his arraignment or something. But of course, media is, you know, right there. And so they're asking him questions and there's um, a video of it. So they say, do you have any comment on the charges you face? And he says, no, not really. I mean, it's not me. No, not really. Yeah. And they say, why do you say it's not you? And he goes, because it's not me. And they're like, okay. (laughs) I don't don't know why they would ask that. Good answer. (laughs) Yeah. Why do you think they say it's you? I'm not sure, but talk to you later. I got to go. Do you have any idea who might have done this? I'm not even from around this area. The abduction attempt to which police have linked Taylor happened in front of the same hotel where... Oh, okay. So in this article, they're, they go on to connect the case to Brittany. to Brittany because of it being in front of the Blue Water Resort. And they said at this time, the police haven't confirmed a definite link between the two cases... But the people who are, like, the task force that was investigating Brittany's case were also investigating this case. So they're probably going to see the link there. And then the reporter asked Taylor, do you know anything about the Brittany Drexel case? And he says, nothing about that. Do you know the name? I've seen it on TV a lot. Do you have any idea who might be involved in that? He said, no, I don't. Were you involved with Brittany Drexel's disappearance? No, I wasn't. So this article was awesome. It it had a lot of information about Sean Taylor, and it actually was written by uh, Graham Moore, who, if you watch the episode of Disappeared, he he does some interviews in it. So he is, I think, in that area. He covered this probably the most. So he wrote this article. So he he has a lot of extensive knowledge on the Britney case as well. It says, Taylor's recent charges are merely two of many he's faced since the early 1990s. And while he's never been convicted of anything in connection with the abductions, he does have a list of other convictions. Since 1994, Sean Taylor has been convicted of nearly 30 offenses in Georgetown and Charleston counties. Whoa. Taylor was convicted of driving under suspension and giving false information to police in 1994. Then in 1996, he was convicted of disorderly conduct. 
1998, he was charged and convicted for failing to stop for blue lights and also for criminal domestic violence. The following year, he was found guilty of driving under the influence and again driving under suspension. In 2001, he was convicted of failing to pay child support. In 2005, he was found guilty for another driving under suspension charge. Between 2001 and 2009, he was convicted of 17 different contempt of court charges. Good Lord. So, I mean, but none of these, the only one that's violent would be the domestic violence charge. Sure. All the other ones are like DUIs and his, I'm assuming his license was suspended because of a DUI and then he just kept driving anyway. So a lot of them are that sort of thing. In February 2001, Sean Taylor's brother, Randall Keith Taylor, was one of five men arrested and charged in connection to the death of a missing 19-year-old from St. Stephen, California. Mm. South Carolina. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know. According to the Post and Courier in Charleston, South Carolina, Shannon McConaughey was last seen leaving the Cracker Barrel in North Charleston on January 29th, 1998. Her car was found and burned in some woods two weeks later, and her body was found in March of that year in some woods near McClellanville. Ooh. Yeah, this is an area that seems like a lot of shady shit happens. Eventually, the charges were dismissed against Taylor and the other men because of lack of evidence. Ugh. Sources on the Drexel case have also raised eyebrows at the mention of a fourth woman, Crystal Gale Souls, who vanished just miles from the McClellanville area in 2005. She was last seen leaving Shaw's corner store near Andrews, and officials think she was abducted. There are just too many young white girls going missing with a connection to that area, one source close to the case said. Sure. I don't know who the source was, if it was like an investigator or what, but... Okay, so now we've got four people in that area disappearing and or being abducted. Mm -hmm. One was murdered Mm -hmm. for sure. We don't know where Crystal went. We don't know where Brittany went. And Randa got away. Mm. Mm. Okay. So in the Randa Massey case, so this is 2010, charges were dropped due to him having an alibi. So this happens in July. And then in November, they announced that they've actually dropped charges against him. They said it was because during the investigation, they learned that Taylor was actually somewhere else during the time of the attempted abduction, and they were able to verify that through surveillance tapes. Mm -hmm. So they actually ended up, like he said, he was about 40 miles away at the time of the incident, and they were able to corroborate that with surveillance tapes of the area that he said he was in. So it's really amazing how surveillance tapes seem to work when someone who may or may not be like charged with something or like implicated in a crime, the surveillance tapes work then. But when you're trying to find information about a victim, they magically never are working. You know, somehow they like, Oh, they didn't work that day. Yeah, they've never been turned on. They haven't been working for 16 years. So. Yeah, we have them up there, but we never plugged the bitch in. Yeah, we, we didn't change the tape. tape. Yeah, yeah. But what about, did you watch that thing on Netflix, Long Shot? Tori. It was the guy who got, he almost got convicted of a murder that he didn't do. And he was like, no, I was at a Dodgers game with my daughter. I took my daughter to a game. And they're like, okay, great. And he pr- he produces his ticket stub and everything. And they're like, you could get a ticket stub anywhere. That doesn't do anything for me. 
And so he's like, oh my God, you know what? They were filming there that day. I remember because when I went to like bring his daughter to the bathroom or something, they had to wait to go back down to their seat because they were filming something. It happened to be an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they are trying to find this tape, right? And at that time, HBO wasn't well known. This is a long time ago. And um, so they're like, we called this little company up called HBO. And like, so they have to go through all these tapes. And like, meanwhile, the prosecution is like ramping up and saying that like, this guy did it and he totally could have gone and driven to this victim's house right after the game ended if he had gotten out, you know, like was one of the first people to get out before the traffic hit and all that stuff. And he's like, oh my God, I was with my six-year-old daughter. Like I did not do this. And she came in and testified for him and it was like super emotional. Well, finally they find this one piece. It, it literally, there's 40,000 people at this fucking baseball stadium. But he and his daughter happened to be, I'm like getting chills talking about it, happened to be in the fucking row where they were filming. And the guy who was supposed to be working there, making people stop, the girl like was kind of getting antsy or whatever. They want to get back to their seat. And the guy's like, I'm probably not supposed to do this, but just go ahead and go. Well, because he broke his, you know, little one job that he had or whatever, and they happened to be filming right there in his row they caught that on tape. And so at the end, I'm going to tear up even like it was amazing. I like got chills watching it. Like you sit there and you look at it and you're like, there he is. Like there he is. And he was just like, I knew they were filming. And I mean, what are the odds out of all of those areas? They happen to be filming right there in his section. Mm -hmm. And had that not happened, he would be in prison right now for a murder that he did not commit for like the rest of his life, probably for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It was Wow. It was, I was, and of course, Larry David is like, I always go to parties and tell people how I saved a man's life and got him out of prison or whatever. <laughs> God, <laughs> he would. Larry fucking David. But, um, yeah, so sometimes it works. Sometimes yeah. you need it to work yeah. that way too. So that was I a mean, roundabout. I agree. I agree. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's such a good, I watched it. I think I had like the flu and I you was. You can't like, shut up about it. We're I moving know. on. I had the flu and I was pregnant. I mean, I cried and cri- I could not stop crying. Aww. I was like, oh my God, he didn't. I knew he didn't do it. It was like, <laughs> it was so sad. It was, a, it was good. It's short too. Okay. I'm not, I can't say it. enough good I'm about it. I'm not watching it. You better watch it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so for Mr. Taylor as well, video did also work for him. It didn't have anything to do with HBO, but he said he was somewhere else and it turned out he was. So, for him, that's a good thing. And no matter how I feel about this guy, he if he didn't there. do that, he didn't yeah. do that. So, you know, that's that's a good thing. But it it is disappointing, I'm sure, for Randa Massey because she's like, okay, so the person who tried to take me, what was what was their motive? What were they going to do? And now, now that person's still out on the streets? Like, that's mm-hmm. super, super scary. In 2013, Don Drexel moved to South Carolina to be closer to Brittany's last known whereabouts and to help further the investigation and ensure that it didn't go cold. And her parents actually also moved there, too. That's really sad and sweet. Yeah, she has now since relocated again to Florida, but she was in Myrtle Beach for, like, I mean, that was, what, 2013, so, like, five, almost six years. I think she just moved to Florida, and she's remarried now. Um, But, yeah, she moved down there to just do what she could because she was afraid that it would kind of go by the wayside because 
you know, none of their family members were there or anything like that. What's really amazing is the community in South Carolina in that area, they still keep Brittany's case alive. Like the people really rallied around her case, which is really awesome. So it's not until 2016 that we get the next public development in the case. So, you know, remember in 2010, the police came out and said, we've got persons of interest. They're not telling us who they are or anything like that. But then the Massey attempted abduction happens. And so now we're, because it said it was Taylor and two other men in that case that were suspected, right? So now we're kind of putting together maybe it's having to do with Sean Taylor because three and three, I can do math. Right. I can do dances moves. <laughs> so now we need to talk about Taquan Brown, I think is how you say his name. Okay. I don't know. I feel bad to mispronounce people's names, but I'm used to it also. So <laughs> so it's okay. She's been, her name's been mispronounced though. She can mispronounce whoever she wants to. No, I'm just saying I understand how it feels and I don't mean to do it. Ever but it does happen. Okay. It's sad and it's unfortunate, but it happens. That's true. And I do have a support group for it. <laughs> but a few months ago, he did a phone interview with News 10, which I think is a local South Carolina news station, about the case. And the following information is taken from that interview. So Right now, he is actually arrested or he's serving time in the McCormick Correctional Institution in South Carolina. It's 25-year sentence for an unrelated manslaughter conviction. But before he went to jail, he said that he saw Brittany Drexel on four different occasions over the course of a month in 2009. Whoa. Yeah. So his name first surfaced in 2016 during a detention hearing in federal court involving a man named Timothy Deshaun Taylor. Now, had you not ruined it I'm sorry. before, what I was going to say here was going to be like, does that name sound familiar to you? <laughs> and then you'd be like, yeah, it kind of does. And then I would be like, that's Sean Taylor's son, Timothy Deshaun Taylor. He just goes by Deshaun though. He doesn't go by Timothy. Okay. An, F bum, bum. Oh. An FBI well, agent testified that they'd received information from Brown who said Taylor had direct involvement in Drexel's kidnapping. Deshaun Taylor denied ever meeting Brittany Drexel. So he says, the only thing I've known is what I've seen on TV and bulletins and what the FBI has been telling me. That's Deshaun Taylor in 2016. And he also claimed he'd never seen Taquan Brown before. But... Court records show that Taylor failed a polygraph about the Drexel case. Polygraphs I, are not... They're not admissible. Yeah. And also, I've read a lot of other reports that said that that polygraph that he supposedly failed also showed deception on his name. So, it's like, okay, then he was probably just really nervous. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's not a good test taker. I don't know. Well, I'm sure it's scary. You're all tied up and you have the thing on your finger and you're like, you know, they're asking you questions. I would feel, I get nervous about everything. So I get nervous every time a police officer is driving behind me. Exactly. I'm like, I'm arrested. I'm yeah. arrested. This is it. How am I going to break it to my children? How yeah. am I going to? Like, 
I don't have any bodies in my car. I don't know why I get so scared of that, but it's like, I I get really freaked out. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, polygraphs aren't admissible. There's a reason for that. Um, His defense attorney says that they administered a polygraph to him and he passed it. So, I mean, who can know? But there are reports that say that he failed a polygraph. So there's that. And Taquan Brown says that Taylor was at the stash house. So what he says is that there was an abandoned house in McClellanville, South Carolina. This is April, 2009, two days after Brittany disappeared. And he says that he is at the stash house, which I am such a loser and had to look up. Cause I, I don't know what that know is. What the fuck it is. Okay, good. I know what a trap house is. Well, some people call it a trap house. Oh, same thing. Yeah. Okay. So what I read was that it's where you keep your guns, your drugs, your supplies, also sounds like women. Horrible. Uh, so Taquan Brown says, Monday, April 27th, I saw the girl and the interviewer says in the stash house. And he says, yeah, there was about eight to 12 guys in there. So Brown says that Drexel had a black eye. He said that she was chained to the wall and that she was being sexually assaulted. Oh my God. Yeah. And he said that he saw Deshaun Taylor there who at that time was 16 years old Mm. and several other men sexually abusing a badly beaten up Brittany Drexel and that the men who abducted her were taking money from other guys in the stash house, I guess, eager to, and this is his quote, fuck the white girl. Oh my God. And I hope that, I hope that Dawn has never heard any of this. I know, but I think she has. Oh, I know. Isn't that horrible? I th- I feel like she consumes everything she can about the case. It's just so... I just don't ever want her to think about that with her daughter. You know? I know. It's horrible. And they said that... He said that he then walked to the backyard of the house to give money to Taylor's father, Sean. And when he was asked if he recognized her right away. He said, no, I didn't even know who she was. I didn't know who she was until actually a few weeks later when everything started coming on the news. So then he said he went back to the house a few days after the first visit. This time he says, we was in the front yard and the girl ran out the back door and four other guys ran behind her and they hit her and they brought her back inside. Brown then says he heard gunshots and assumed Drexel had been killed. As I got in my car, I see two gentlemen come out of the house with a rug and they put it in the back of his truck and then I left. So he says that like he hears these gunshots. He had seen the girl drive or trying to run away and he's like, oh, they're carrying a body out now. And he's like, we best be leaving because I don't want to be tied to this. Like basically. Oh my God. Good fucking Samaritan here. Yeah. But then he says five days later, he went to visit his cousin Herman at his house in rural Jacksonboro, South Carolina, to show him a car he'd just bought. This is, so Jacksonboro is also a very, like, rural area like McClellanville is, but it is 80 miles from McClellanville, so this is even further. Oh, wow. He says, when I stopped by to show him the car, he was, she was there, Brittany was there. So... He doesn't say, I mean, I'm thinking maybe he does say, and I've missed it because I've read like 150 articles on this at this point. I don't know if he's saying that he was with Herman at the stash house those first two times that he says he saw Brittany. But then now he drives 80 fucking miles away to show his cousin Herman 
this car that he bought. And Brittany's there. And Brittany's there now. I don't know how to feel. I mean, we'll keep going on. I don't know how to feel about the Taylors. He says not yet. She was alive then. But I thought with the gunshots and the rug. Exactly. This does not make any sense. Why? How could she be shot twice? Wrapped up in a rug and then just be alive and well. Right. The next time he sees her. But that's, it's so weird because the Taylors say they don't know Taquan Brown. And I cannot find anything that says that they do know each other. However, it's an open investigation. Maybe that's a piece of the puzzle that the police are keeping back. Maybe there's something else that they've got that they're not letting out there. That's tying them together. Yeah, because it right now all they have is Brown's words. But there was an article on crimewatchers.net or a post. So that's kind of like web sleuths. I just happened upon this. I've never used this website before. But according to a post on that, another police informant came forward and told investigators that Brittany's body had been dumped in an unspecified McClellanville pond teeming with alligators in the Santee region of the state on May the 2nd, 2009, when the case began to get like tons of media attention. It got picked up by national networks even. So, allegedly, the abductor felt that she'd become a big problem because not too many people know about her, that she's missing. And so, they decided they needed to get rid of her. So, Brown identified Deshaun Taylor and his father as participants in the quote-unquote bunnying of Drexel. Bunnying? I fucking hate that term. So, that's apparently the the taking of the money and letting all the dudes do (gasps) what they're going to do to her. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it's, I hate it, bunnying. What the fuck is wrong with people? And allege their possible involvement with her murder. And then, of course, details of why Brown was at the stash house have never been made clear. So I w- I'm interested to know this. Why were you there? Mm-hmm. You were very obviously conducting a legal business. Well, yeah. Why did she then end up at Herman's? Mm-hmm. 50, 40 miles away? 80 miles away. 80 miles away. That's a big fucking difference. He doesn't place Sean Taylor or Deshaun Taylor there then. Only Herman. Herman died in 2016. So Deshaun Taylor said that he was in school that day. He could not have been her abductor because he was in his third period class at Lincoln High School. Oh so my God. He was fucking 16 then. And... He said that at the time, he didn't have a driver's license, he didn't have access to a vehicle, and he could not have dragged her from the strip and transported her to the stash house. One of the reasons that he says he couldn't have drug her off the street is because he only has one arm. Oh, yeah. So when he was little, he was like four years old, I think, he was in his grandfather's shop. Like, I don't know if his grandfather was a mechanic or what, but a car fell on him. Oh, no. And he ended up having to have his left arm amputated. So he is without a left arm. Does that mean you cannot commit violent crimes? No. Look at Jamie Lannister. Yeah, very true. I mean, you can do lots without your left hand or whatever. Yeah, right hand. Um, but I mean, yeah, if he was holding a gun or something. Yeah, you could it be. only takes one hand and one gun to have somebody comply. Totally. He could have also been driving the car and somebody else gotten out and grabbed her. Sure, yeah. Um. He does say that he was in school at that time, and this is another one of those things. I haven't found anything that says. But that was yes, at for night, sure. though, when she was abducted. 
Yeah, that's true. It was like nine something. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, so he couldn't have been at school then. So maybe he was saying that at the time that he placed him at the stash house, he was at school. Maybe. I don't know. There, It's just weird because all you have is, is this brown guy who, again, we as citizens don't know if he even does know Sean Taylor or Deshaun Taylor. But where did he get the names and the people, you know, like... Right. Did he just say the names or did he pick them out of a... No, I mean, he came forward and said that he knew them. Mm -hmm. But then he also says that when he's at the house, his his cousin's house or whatever, Herman in Jacksonboro, that a man known to him only as Nate took Brittany outside and shot her twice with a shotgun. He saw this happen? He says he saw it happen. And then he says that she was then taken, her remains were then taken to a pond teeming with alligators to dispose of her body. But he said that they put her body in a stolen RV, an RV that was stolen from one of the neighbors, and then drove her. Well, the news station confirmed by police reports that the neighbor reported an RV missing, stolen that same week. Oh my gosh. So some of his stuff adds up. And so like when they talk to the investigators, they say that some of it seems like maybe it doesn't, but some of it does. Like a lot of it is very probable and there are some details that he could be getting wrong or mistaken or whatever, but there's some stuff that, that goes, that goes together. Joan Taylor, who's the wife of Sean Taylor and the mother of Deshaun says that this is just craziness and it's made up by investigators to get her son to confess to a crime he didn't commit just so they can close the case, which has been known to happen. Sure, yeah. So I'm sure that if this is your husband and your son, you certainly do not want them to, you don't want to believe that they would abduct or murder people. It is a little strange to me that they've been implicated in like, what, three abductions slash murders now? Yeah. And somehow they've all gotten dropped. That's crazy. It's really weird. Um, the property where Drexel was said to have been held against her will was searched by police, but no evidence of her having been there was ever found. And the stash house, oh, here's where it says that. The stash house, also referred to as a trap house in some media reports, was located in a small fishing village just off Highway 17, roughly halfway between Myrtle Beach and Charleston, and close to where her Brittany's pink cell phone last pinged. Then days after her disappearance, Brittany's father, Chad, traveled to McClellanville to hand out flyers to raise awareness of his missing daughter. And he actually ended up, according to reports, handing one directly to Deshaun Taylor. He didn't know it at the time. So, and I saw an interview with him where he was talking about it and he said that he, he's like walking down the road and he's trying to hand out flyers to everybody because it's a super small, you know, area. So he's going like house to house, I guess. He's standing in the middle of the road and this car is driving up and he said, I don't think they would have stopped. You know, if I was on the side of the road and I'm waving them down, I don't think they would have stopped. But he said, I'm standing in the very middle of the road. So they kind of had to. So they stop and he gives them the flyer and he's trying to, you know, ask them, have you seen this girl? You know, she's missing. She was last reported to her cell phone record show. She was last in this area, you know, kind of stuff. And he said they were kind of like, didn't care. It seemed like they didn't care the people in the car. And he said he kind of, um, there were two people 
in the back and they were whispering and he said he stuck his head in and said, do you know anything about this girl and her dad? And he said they just started laughing and he gave the flyer to the person that was driving and the driver crumpled it up and tossed it out the window as they were driving away and they were all just laughing. Oh my God. And he is like, WTF. And he said that he noticed the driver was hunched over the steering wheel and was missing an arm. Okay, who was that? Deshaun Taylor. Yeah, so McClellanville has a total of four people. One of them has a missing arm. We know who he is. So he said that he later figured out that it was Deshaun Taylor because of a local private investigator they'd hired to help find Brittany. And again, Deshaun Taylor later sat down with um, this news outlet to clear his name and denied the incident ever took place. And he said, I don't remember meeting Mr. Drexel or receiving a flyer from him. Um, and Brittany's mother, Dawn, said in an interview about this private investigator, she said he gave and found out a lot of information, but we soon found out that he had scammed us out of a lot of money. This happens a lot in missing persons cases. That's so shitty. Why do people... They're only looking out for themselves. Like, if, if you provide a service, just be honest because this is somebody's daughter that's missing. Yeah, but that's the thing is these people are like amoebas on fleas on rats because they know that these people are hurting and they... Taking advantage of it. Yeah, and so they they use that and they exploit that vulnerability and say, you're hurting this is life or death for you. I've heard in other cases of people being like, okay, you know, my daughter's missing or whatever. I hire this private investigator and he says, I've got information. We know where she is, but I'm going to have to do a recovery operation. It's going to have to be stealth. It's going to have to be now. It's very dangerous. I need a hundred thousand dollars right now because we've got to get a helicopter or a plane or whatever. And they're like, boom, I've sold my house. I've did whatever I had to do, and then they never hear from this guy again. Oh, my God. He knows full well he got no information about this person's whereabouts. It's fucking really That's awful. That's terrible. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the Drexels fell prey to some of that, too, and it's it's just really, really unfortunate and, and hateful because I wish those people could get – I don't know why they don't get prosecuted more. I don't know. I mean, maybe they just use fake names and you can't trace them anymore. But sure, yeah. It's fucking hateful Mm -hmm. is what it is like because these people are willing to give any amount of money they can to get their child back or their loved one or whatever. And then once you get rid of all that money, you don't have any more money to give. So if something really did happen where you could, you know, it's just fucking terrible. Right now, at this point, Brittany is presumed dead because they're just not really sure. Now, Dawn thinks she's alive and she thinks that she's being held somewhere. She thinks that she's a victim of sex trafficking. Which I think is a possibility. Um, it's a terrifying possibility. But it They're happens. all terrifying. But yeah, it happens. Um, but in an online posting, Chad Drexel, Brittany's father, posted that there is evidence that the family can't reveal. So he says, we know Timothy Deshaun Taylor was witnessed by other witnesses not in jail with my daughter. We're just praying that they do the right thing and step forward with what they know. Additionally, he has been seen and followed to the exact area where my daughter's DNA was found. So, again, this was something I had a really hard time finding because the problem with a lot of these reports is the right now the FBI's got the case. 
The FBI isn't giving out a lot of this information. They're not coming forward and saying, here's what we've got, here's what we found. You know, they're trying to keep a, a tight, like, a hold on a lot of like that a stuff. on it, yeah. So you will see things posted that say, we heard from the FBI that Brittany's DNA was found. Like, like that one report that we read said that there was no evidence that Brittany was ever in the exact stash house that Brown was saying that she was in. But other reports that I've read said that they did find Brittany's DNA there and that they know that she was there and that she was at one other stash house too. What can you believe then? It's, it's confusing. And I did get in contact with, um, one of the, the, the woman, her name is April, who runs the bringing Brittany home Facebook. And she's, uh, involved with the search and rescue team as well. And she says that the FBI told them that Brittany's DNA was found there. So she's like, if the FBI told us that, we believe it. So, you know, I couldn't find anything documented publicly that says that, but she says that that they've been told that it was found there. So she's like, that, you know, we're going to go with that. So totally understandable. But um, obviously the Taylors are going to say her DNA no. was never found there. Okay, now we kind of have to go, we're going to backtrack just a second. In September of 2011, so if if Deshaun Taylor was 16 in 09, 11 is a couple, okay, so he's like 18 at this point, 17, 18. In 2011, Deshaun Taylor took part in an armed robbery at a Mount Pleasant McDonald's where one of his accomplices shot and injured the store manager. The manager lived. Two other suspects, Joseph Whiteside and Deron Moultrie, were sentenced in connection with the crime. Taylor confessed to being the getaway driver and was sentenced to two years probation. So here we can see he can be a getaway driver. Absolutely. So we know he can take part in something. And this was a violent crime. He wasn't physically inside, but he certainly knew what was happening. And he certainly knew they went in there with a gun. Right. That's armed robbery. That's a violent crime. Mm -hmm. So because he was young, though, when it happened... He only got sentenced to two years probation. So on July 12th, 2017, Deshaun Taylor was convicted for his role in the armed robbery. Robbery. Oh, my God. Armed robbery. (laughs) What the fuck? So what happened is after this. So 2011, he does the crime. In 2017, you can maybe say he does the time. It's the time he was given. Two years probation. But the FBI says... We think he's involved in Brittany's case. We want to put the squeeze on him. Good good term. We want to charge him federally with this armed robbery. He was convicted in the state court or whatever, state level. But now we want to convict him at the federal level. Oh, wow. And that doesn't count as double jeopardy because you can be convicted in both. Mm-hmm. So they want to give him either more time because what they're saying is he was given too light of a sentence because of his age at the time. So the feds offered Taylor a plea deal in which they would pursue little to no jail time if he passed a polygraph test concerning. Can you do that? Can they do that? I just am surprised that a polygraph can be used at all for something like this. But keep going. Oh, you're saying, okay, I thought you meant could they offer him, like, a deal like that. Oh, no, I'm sure that they can. I just didn't know that the 
you know, the conditions were, here's the polygraph test. I'm not 100% sure that that was the only condition because also I've read that what they, well, because, I mean, what his defense lawyer said is they were trying to cut him a deal that would say, if you give us information in the Brittany case, so maybe that was in the form of a polygraph test, like tell us the information we need to know to close this case. And then we won't give you a lot of time Yeah, because he was 16 years old at the time or something like that. But what his defense lawyer says is he didn't take this deal where he could, he could possibly have gotten himself out of a lot of jail time. If he did have something to do with this because he simply has no information to give them. So he's, he's in jail right now for, this armed robbery that he already did his time for. So his family and people who support him are saying it's time for him to get out. This is fucked up. Like he already did the time. You're just trying to get him on a technicality so you can squeeze information out of him and he doesn't have any. So let him go. But, and you know, they said he failed that polygraph, but in his defense lawyer says, no, he didn't. So yeah, I don't know. He said, she said, right. I don't like jailhouse informant stuff. Because how much of that can you believe? And how, what is the, what's the motive here? So the FBI right now is offering a $25,000 reward to anybody who provides information and, and secures a conviction. Well, if, if Brown comes forward and says, I mean, you, cause you could look at it from both ways. Like let's play devil's advocate. You could look at it as Taquan Brown is giving true information that he has. Out of the goodness of his heart. Okay. Because he wants to do the right thing. Very sweet. He was at a, a stash house uh, watering the flowers. He right. is simply a gardener. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was doing some bird watching. He was picking up garbage for local um, disabled veterans. Yep. So he's doing some sort of something and happens to see her there. And now he wants to come forward and do the right thing. Sure. Uh, or he's going to get 25 grand. His uncle Herman fucking killed her. I mean, it could, wh- why was she at Herman's house? This is 80 miles away. It doesn't make any sense. Herman's dead now. He right. died of like a heart attack in 2016. So we can't ask him. Convenient. Um, it, I mean, you could really look at it from just a lot of different angles. And unless you have that physical evidence to back it up, then that's going to be very difficult. However... There are reports that there is Britney's DNA in two stash houses that are owned by the Taylors. Oh. Are they just in the stash house business? Apparently, they seem to own a lot. Now, these stash houses are, that's another point of contention in some of these posts. So, like, you guys, I have gone on WebSleuths, I've gone on Reddit, I've gone on Crime Watchers. These all have, like, lots of threads on the case, and then each thread has, like, 20 pages of posts. It's a lot of information. So why you have why you don't have more is beyond me because you had all of the resources. <laughs> I know. I feel like this the past few weeks I've been like Charlie trying to figure out who Carol is in the mail room. <laughs> like who was Pepe Savia? <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> Carol. <laughs> like all the things with the strings to each other. Like I'm just like I don't know. She's making connections left and right. But also I'm making no connections. Like, I'm just like, what's going on? But taking crazy pills. Yeah, that's what I feel like. So it's like, I keep seeing all these things. And like, some people say, you know, there's, there's the physical evidence and, but, oh, that's what I was going to say. So the stash house 
story. So the way that Daquan Brown talks about the stash house is that he walks into the front of it and as he's walking through in the back part of the house, he sees, you know, all this stuff or whatever. Well, when you look at the picture, so the reports in the news say that this house has already been searched in 2010 for evidence and that none was found at that point. And when you see the pictures of this, of the house being searched, it looks like a small shed, like, like that it would be no bigger than your mom's Jack Russell, like very small. It doesn't appear to have multiple rooms. Um, they're searching with an excavator, like all around the property too. And so what a lot of people said was, if you're trying to do a body recovery, you're not just going to take a fucking excavator to it. Like if you're looking for remains, you're going to go like small areas, grid by grids, like that kind of thing. So they, they were kind of thinking we're not looking for a body in that area. Um, but the, the stash house itself is, is very small. It's not even, I mean, a mobile home is, is fairly small, but it's multi-room. Like you've got walls, you've got different areas that you're going to walk through, but what he's describing and where he's telling them this house is, is you walk in, you turn around, you walk back out. There's no that's other it. doors yeah. to other rooms and things. That's, that's what they say. So that's a little bit problematic. I mean, it seems like an inconsistency. However, perhaps there are more properties that the Taylors own and maybe the FBI isn't putting it out there, all of the properties they've searched. Like, yeah, we don't know because it's open, but there do seem to be some inconsistencies there. Now, the latest development is that literally just a couple weeks ago, a an abandoned home that belonged to the family, the Taylor family, burned down. Hmm. Burned down to the ground. It was a huge blaze. The FBI spokesman Don Wood confirmed the agency is aware of the fire, but they do not have a reason to connect the fire or the house to the Drexel disappearance. The blaze was reported around 10 p.m. at 1819 Old Collins Creek Road. Wait a second. Told ya to remember it. I, I told ya. It. I remembered it. You did. In McClellanville. And this road is south of where they searched in 2016. So the stash house that Brown told them about is literally like right the fuck down the street from this. So what's interesting about this is this house just became engulfed in flames. Okay. The house was, they said built 80 years ago and it had no power that ran to it. So how did it catch And on there fire? was no storm that night. It wasn't like this, electric, you know, like a lightning strike or something or anything right. like that. So a lot of people online, you know, in a lot of these, you know, Reddit and all those kind of things are like, the fuck? Somebody set that fire. Mm-hmm. It's, was that arson? Yeah. To, they believe to cover evidence. So they think that the Taylors are getting scared because now they're holding Deshaun, trying to get information on him. And so they think they're going to start searching all of their properties, maybe, or something. I don't know. So they think that it, because by the time the firemen got there, it was completely engulfed in flames. So there was no saving it. Yeah. it. I don't know if they, even if they did decide to search this, I don't know that there would be. But I mean, Bones would, st- if, if they had, if Brittany was left there, like if her remains were there. But Brown says they're in Jacksonboro 
or that she had last been taken to Jacksonboro and then, then she was dumped in a pond. Yeah, true. So I don't know if, I guess what they're saying that they would be concealing would be just evidence of some kind. DNA or something because they they did ask the the investigators you know okay it's ten years later could they have even found DNA and yeah of course they could like mm-hmm. or hair we've seen or, it yeah exactly how long was DNA, it in the but... De- Jessica Dishon case you know her uncle killed her or whatever in that like he had held her for a couple days oh yeah 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 and people thought um, that the neighbor ha- had done it you know because the neighbor was real weird and had pictures of her and shit but it ended up being her uncle had taken her to this like little shed or something and it was years later mm-hmm. it i think it was more than 10 maybe that they went and remember the sheet from her bed that was missing from her bed was in there and they found her blood there still yeah so i mean you can recover dna yeah after yeah. a long time so is it possible they were trying to hide that i don't know I, or if they could find like you know a pair of her sunglasses or mm-hmm. whatever her purse it any of her, her materials were there. The phone's never been located. Mm-hmm. And actually when Deshaun Taylor was questioned like a long time ago, like initially, because he said everybody in McClellanville was questioned, you know, they talked to everybody. And he said that he had overheard an argument between two people at some point who were arguing about keeping Brittany's cell phone. And he said that he didn't, know her and he didn't have anything to do with the disappearance or anything like that but that he heard them arguing about the cell phone and he was going to get to keep it and he thought it was weird and so he brought it up when he was questioned hmm. I'm like how do you know about her fucking phone if mm-hmm. you do I don't know it's just the whole thing is just straight fucked first off absolutely and either everyone is only telling half truths and bits and pieces or right no one's telling the exact truth i don't know yeah and then the other the other main theory that's going on right now like i I think that the people that she traveled with were cleared and were not ever said to have any involvement link with like the taylors or taquan brown or anybody like that Hmm. um because some of the theories that had come out you know initially were was britney sold off for a drug debt. They were doing a lot of drugs. Um, did Peter have some kind of connection and he had some kind of a drug debt or something, or, or did he go down there? And since he was a club promoter, did he know somebody who was in human trafficking and he sold her off or whatever? And I think a lot of people squashed that and they were like, Peter's too fucking dumb to set something like that up, especially as young as he was like he. And also if like six of these kids were involved in something like that, one of them would have fucking rolled by now. Yeah, exactly. It's like that um, when we did Seth Jackson and I listened to the Obscura podcast and he was like, six people can keep a secret if five of them are dead. Like somebody would have let something slide probably. Um, so those kind of went away. But the other main theory is that she was taken and sold into human or sex trafficking. So in the investigators in the disappeared episode we're like no she was not sold into human trafficking like we did look into that but that's not an issue here um you know so usually when you have an area where people are sold into trafficking you've got cases that precede that and then cases continue to happen after and we have no evidence of that it's a very safe place and all this kind of stuff and then other people are like you are absolutely full of shit it's a thing it happens a lot 
a lot more than you think. And also the investigators have a reason to say that human trafficking is not an issue there because the tourism would just die if people were like, young girls are getting abducted when they go on trips there. Mm -hmm. So we know for a fact, how many did we just talk about? Just four. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of a fucking lot. Like, and one of them directly in front of the same fucking hotel. And those people were not caught. Yeah, exactly. So they're not going to try to abduct somebody else again? Yeah. I'm more more willing to believe the sex trafficking than I am not, you know, just to be like, no, this is not something that happens here. Right, yeah. Everything is fine. I mean, a lot of people think that Middle Tennessee is really safe, and I think for the most part it is, but it's a huge hub for trafficking. I mean, it is the halfway point between a lot of a places. A lot of huge places. Yeah. It's fucking terrifying. And like, and it's right off the interstate. It's you know? right off the interstate. And, and when you have big things, so like, like for Myrtle Beach, spring break... That's when all these people converge. So your population is normally like, what, 30, 40,000, something like that. And then you spike up to like a hundred something thousand over spring break. Mm -hmm. But you've got all these people coming in. When you have the, it, what's really sad and scary is when you have the convergence of, or a spike of a bunch of middle-aged men, sex trafficking happens. That's where people are exchanged. And I read an article about like when we had the NFL draft here this year, that trafficking was would go up significantly because now all these men have a reason to come together and Ugh. they can exchange their people or they begin to look for victims. And I read about um, oh my God. them using Snapchat now. So parents, like my kids are too young for Snapchat, but I'm going to try and stay, you know, have the 411 on all the cool shit or whatever because I mean I don't get Snapchat but apparently the default setting in Snapchat is for your location to be shared Mm -hmm. and not just like oh here's the city you're in to the fucking intersection of where you're standing (gasps) and a lot of young people think it's cool because they're like ooh, here's my friend Uh, she's at the mall I'll go meet her there or whatever like you can see exactly where they're standing almost and these predators use that feature to find kids and know where they're fucking standing and go and take them. And of course they can pretend to be whoever they want to be on the internet. Mm -hmm. And you know, if I think, I mean, I think one, it's, it's terrifying to me, but I think one way to stay safe is maybe to only accept friend requests from people that you physically know, because, this can be somebody pretending to be a 14-year-old kid just like you. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I'm going to be in town for the draft. Where's all the people? And here we go. It's it's terrifying. So when you have all these people come together, you have people being taken. And they're sold into slavery for all different kinds of reasons. And sex is one of them. Um, the co-founder of the Center of Redemption said that... Sex trafficking in the Myrtle Beach area, she said, right now the most profitable illegal industry is drug trafficking and human trafficking is surpassing that because it's a supply and demand issue. You may be able to sell that gun just a handful of times, but they estimate you can sell a girl 15 to 40 times in a single night. (gasps) Is that not horrifying? In a single night. I'm sorry I made mouth sounds about it, but I'm just like, I cannot believe that. It's... It's disgusting. It's gut-wrenching to think about that. 
these poor people, it's, it's girls and boys, but these poor people, and it's, it's such a huge issue. Like it's, and you don't think that that kind of thing happens or you don't want to think that that kind of thing happens. It's it's very common. It's, it's terrifying. Um, and she said that Wilmington, which is, uh, North Carolina is a destination city because of the tourism industry. And it's also a transit city because of access to highways. So what we talked about Nashville, Myrtle beach is 74.6 miles from Wilmington. That's about an hour and 28 minutes continuous driving time. So it's not that far and it's not that inconceivable to think that it's a pass through. You pick up some people in, in Myrtle beach, you load them all in your van, you take them to Wilmington and there you go. They're gone. They're on the highway and they're gone. Mm-hmm. In the United States. And for Brittany, her cell phone pinged off of many different places in a very short amount of time. Very, yeah. Yeah. So she was absolutely 100% driven somewhere. And it's, you know, I think that a lot of people, some people kind of looked at the whole Peter thing and Jennifer all of a sudden deciding she wanted her shorts back as, it's, okay, she walked all the way to Peter's mm-hmm. and now Peter's going to say, okay, she's here. And now Jennifer says, okay, well, I need my shorts back. So now we're going to get her walking again by herself. And now we can tell our people come pick her up to pull the van up and pick her up or whatever. Um, it's more likely that it was a crime of opportunity that somebody was driving around the strip looking for somebody who was walking by themselves. They did it with Massey and tried to grab her. And she fought back. And I think that I want to get somebody on and do an interview from I've got some messages out and requests out to some organizations that deal with like human trafficking and stuff like that, because I want to find out what we can tell our listeners so that they can they can at least try to fight back or whatever it is. Like, what's the best thing to do in that situation? And with Randa Massey, she fought back and she elbowed one of them hard enough that his nose started to bleed and then she got away. So I do think that fighting back is probably the best thing that you can do. Yeah. Um, but I do want to get an interview and just, you know, see what are like either law enforcement's tips or the people who run these organizations. Like, what do you say a person should do in a situation like that? Because it's terrifying and you have to just be so aware of your surroundings. And we also know that Brittany was walking and texting she, she wasn't paying attention like maybe yeah she yeah. she felt safe she had her guard down and she was texting john and so she probably wasn't paying attention of you know stuff around her where randa said she heard the van come up behind her so she had her guard up she was aware she, of it mm-hmm. so i think maybe that gave her just that uh, maybe a little bit more kind of moments notice or something but yeah. i mean i do it all the time every every time i go walk the dogs i put my headphones in i'm listening to murder shit only that's not safe at all not safe at all and then i'm texting on my phone or something or googling something or i don't even know what and i mean for the most part i walk the dogs she's in the on of the day. snapchat with her location turned on exactly but like i'm usually in the middle of the day or whatever but still i mean chicken even yeah like you're walking down a like road in your neighborhood that doesn't have a lot of like people out or whatever it's like anything could happen so I have to pay attention to that too but it's scary it is scary so that's it that's where we are it's been 10 years 10 years in April so so scary of course if you know anything uh let someone know you've got Myrtle Beach Police Department the FBI has taken over the case so let the FBI know Mm -hmm. let someone know
Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. And don't stay safe. Yeah. Stay safe. Exactly. Yep. Have a good one. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Get in on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Killer Queens Podcast and join our Facebook discussion group at Killer Queens Podcast where we discuss cases covered on the show and all things 90s. If you want to submit a case to be covered on the show, visit www.killerqueenspodcast.com slash case submission and complete the form. If we cover the case, we'll even give you a shout out on the show. Killer Queens is researched, mixed, and mastered by our own damn selves. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. And our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Lilas! Do you feel you? Yeah. It's that, like... Oh, my God. I was wondering what it is. It's stuck. I'm doing it all the time. It's so weird. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it's just weird. Like out of nowhere, I just <laughs> And first I thought it was like, and then I was like, dear God, that's, that's me. <laughs> I don't know. I seem to be moving air through pretty well now. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.